This is the HuffPost Love and Sex Podcast. Each episode, we ask a single question. To find the answers, we speak with experts and listeners like you. This podcast contains explicit content. Please proceed with caution. I'm Noah Michelson. And I'm Karina Kolodny. Unfortunately, my lovely co-host Karina is out sick this week, but she'll be back soon. This week, we've got a lot of questions because you guys sent us a ton of emails. You were looking for advice about love and sex. So I asked Caitlin Prest and Samara Breger from the Heart Podcast to come into the studio and help me tackle some of your questions. Hey, I'm Caitlin. Hi, I'm Samara. The Heart's one of my favorite podcasts. Like Love and Sex, it's a sex-positive show that documents the most private, joyful, unusual, and sometimes crushing moments of human relationships. Welcome to the heart. All the things that you feel but don't know how to name. Hey, are you awake? Don't know how to put into words. <sighs> this is a show about all those Just things. Like... <laughs> Dummy and Idiot met where many boneheads meet in grad school. One night, they run into each other on the subway and have a moment of vague recognition and small talk. Hey, you were at the, the Warhog show. Yeah, totally. Yeah, cool. Were you there? Yeah, I like lived there. Oh, fuck. Who were you there with? Um, I was there with one of my dates. One of your dates. Yeah, she like knows the band and stuff. Uh-huh. You ever date dudes? Dummy is flirting with her. <laughs> no dude. Their goal is to remove shame about sex in our bodies, and that's my goal too. The Heart is one of many podcasts on Radiotopia. That's a network featuring some of the world's best and most popular story-driven podcasts, including Criminal, Song Exploder, and The Memory Palace. So get yourself some sustenance, grab a friend or a lover, and buckle up for all of the candid answers to the sex questions you've been wondering about, but are maybe a little bit too shy to ask. But first, let's learn a little bit more about Caitlin and Samara. So, Caitlin, to start, can you tell us the origin of the heart? How did it come to be? The origin. The origin. I feel like there are, like, several origins. Content-wise, we've sort of, we began as something that was very sort of, like, in-your-face. The only way to change the way people feel and think about sexuality is to represent sexuality from a perspective and with a voice that has never been heard, but that is utterly honest and utterly raw. And then we've sort of evolved from a sexual education mission into um, a more broad sort of like we want to we just want to make really, really good stories that engage with the topic of love from that. And that represents gender and sexuality in ways that are fresh Mm -hmm. and real. Yeah, I think you guys really do that. That's why I love the heart. So how did you get involved with the heart? Um, so about two years ago, Mitra and Caitlin were looking for someone who could write grants for them. Um, and I really loved the show, so I said I could write grants, but I actually couldn't, which they figured out pretty quickly, I think. Um, but at that point, they were having these these big meetings where they would invite all of their you know favorite radio makers from the community to come by and sit in Caitlin's backyard and have drinks and sort of pitch for the season. And I pitched uh, an episode that was just a like a 
little piece of sound art of uh, James Joyce's erotic letters, mm. which um, I don't know if you've read them, but they they are really explicit. He talks about his wife's butt and mm-hmm. like how much he loves her farts and her poop and like it's a whole whatever. Um, so I made it and and they liked it and put it on the show and I sort of just stuck around and uh, and now I'm on staff. It was very beautiful. I, I highly recommend Thank you. listening to it. <laughs> right. It was very beautiful. Anyway. One of the things that we love about The Heart is that it is so sex positive, obviously, and you're really trying to tell honest stories about people's experiences. What has the response been to that? How do people feel about what you're doing? What have you heard? I mean, that's a good question. I've heard I've heard a lot of positive feedback. You know, for every episode, we get a few emails of people saying, this this is my story. This mm-hmm. relates to me. And, and people often send us long stories from their own personal lives that are somewhat tangentially related. Um, and and uh, I think I don't think people have really been turned off by it in a big way. Yeah. Um, and if they have, they haven't really been vocal about it um, because there is just so much out there. You know, if they if they're uh, uncomfortable with it, they can just sort of turn it off. Right. But I, overall, I've seen a really positive response. Yeah. I mean, I think there's so much out there. But at the same time, I think there is not so much out there in terms of people actually making content that is honest and that is speaking about people's experiences. I mean, we get the same thing. We did an episode about fetishes and about a guy who has a diaper fetish. I can't tell you how many people wrote into us after that and said, no one's talking about this. Um, you're, you're speaking my life and, and how much that meant to them. So I think that that's part of the exciting thing, I think, for us and probably for you guys, too, is that you do hear from people and it actually does matter. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm a huge believer in, in the idea that, like, silence is loneliness. Yeah. Right? Like, you're alone with your own experiences. And then when you speak to these things, these these things that, like, we're afraid of mm-hmm. and, and are sort of taboo, it, it builds these bridges between communities. And, like, listening to a podcast, it's a super intimate experience. We're in your years. We're in your head. We're, we're all in your business. Um, and if we can speak truth to some of these things and build those bridges, it's super intimate and it feels really great. A lot of the weirdness comes from people who don't know how to react to, like, young women, mm-hmm. you know. Owning their sexuality. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> That's sort of a new thing. <laughs> Yeah, and bringing that into sort of a like a professional context yeah. where it's like I'm a fucking documentarian, right. like and this respect has, me. This has value. This <laughs> yeah. has value. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that that is new to people and also scary to a lot of people. Definitely. I mean, what yeah. you guys are doing also is radical. You know, this is a radical act, and I think that it's not always labeled that way or seen that way, but it's political and it's radical, and that is alarming for some people. Definitely. And I think that, like, just culturally, you know, like, we really police the boundaries of where sex lives, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that, like, culturally, like, when we're talking about, like, pop culture, like... There's there's a place called porn and the things that really engage with sex. I mean, like, you know, I think that they're, they're developing new categories of places where, like, sexuality can be openly discussed. Mm-hmm. But often it has, like, kind of a self-help vibe. Yes. You know what I mean? And I feel like, like, I would love for there to be a bigger bigger space in the wider culture for, like, for, for things like for open discussion and 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 truthful representation of sex to live mm-hmm. that doesn't have to be relegated to like midnight. Yes. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or some kind of like gauzy like self-helpy hippie it can just be honest and real and Yeah, and like live on the big screen or yeah. like you know on the on the you know yeah. like I mean 
it, it's in everybody's house, yes. you know? If you are a sexual person, you have sex. It's in your house. It's in your life. Your parents did it. Your grandparents. It's the right. oldest thing people do, and yet we treat it like it's this fringe, crazy thing that only happens when the lights are out and you lock your door. Yeah. That's um, not true. It's not true. Talk to me about the, the new season of the show and what topics you guys are covering. Can you give us a little sneak preview of what's coming up? Well, the season is called Make or Break or Make Slash Break. Um, and in each episode, there's a moment where someone decides whether they want to stay or whether they want to go. Mm. So it's usually a relationship um, and and it's they, they have to make that decision. So, so far, uh, the first two episodes, well, it was a two-parter um, about Caitlin and Mitra's relationship. Um, and then the second episode, or the, I guess the third episode, was about um, a woman named Desiree who is a fan of Aaron Carter and her decision to, to stay or to go as a fan. That's so. so great. I love that. It was good. But that <laughs> does bring me to the question of, you know, speaking about your own personal life on – a radio show or on a podcast and putting everything out there, is that weird for you? How much do you, you know, reveal? How much do you not reveal? How do you make those decisions? Truth be told, um, it has not been weird for me up until recently. I feel like, um, you know, telling our own stories has been sort of um, embedded in our approach from from. The, from era number one. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and a big reason for that is because it's really hard to get people to open up uh, on the level that we really want them to open up um, if this isn't their mission in life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like our mission in life is to like do this and to make this work. And so it's easy for us to feel justified in in going into uncomfortable territories, um, asking other people, strangers basically, to be like, hey, like would you mind like having sex in front of a microphone and like letting us tell that story, right. you know? Um, but strangely, um, it's become more fraught since we've started doing stuff more about love mm-hmm. than about sex. Mm, interesting. Um, it's been a lot harder because it's, it's so, like, it's, it's very fraught. There's a lot of feelings, you know? And, like, to make really good stories about love, you have to say the really uncomfortable, horrible, ugly truths mm-hmm. that live inside of a moment. I mean, like... Even just something as simple as like the feeling of being totally in love with someone and waking up to them, staring them in the eyes and imagining your breakup, mm. you know, like how how could I ever – I just said it out loud. Mm. But like how could I ever write that into a radio piece while I'm still dating that person, Right. you know? Um, and then also just getting consent from the people that we're dating yeah. um, to, to go to those places. I mean like we had this one story um, – uh, that had to we had to kill the story because the relationship ended in the middle of us making it. Wow! And in all honesty, I think that the making of the story actually um, sped up the breakup. Really? Because they were suddenly looking at their relationship in a very um, serious way, mm-hmm. and it sort of like uh, prodded them to have certain fights that led to. Which I feel like shit about, you know. Right. Like these, are the, this is the kind of, you know, like these things happen. And it's but did like, that make you approach anything differently after that, or was it just sort of like we're dealing with really emotional things, and these kind of things are going to happen? Things break sometimes, or or did you think no, we need to rejigger this and try something? Or? Be more careful. I think that like I, I I keep trying to not be careful. Yeah. You know, and it gets harder and harder the older I get because the stakes get higher and higher. And, um, and like I said, as we, as we sort of, 
um, develop our careers via this work, um, it be- it becomes even more fraught, mm. you know, because now all the people I date are in radio. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? uh. So that adds, I mean, oh, yeah. the person you date is in radio too. She is in radio. <laughs> the person I date is in radio. And I'm actually working on, I've never done a, a personal story for the heart. Mm-hmm. I'm working on one right now. Wow. And it's it's terrifying and it's weird. And I keep saying to Caitlin, I can't believe you do this all the time. I, I don't understand <laughs> how you do this. Um, but yeah, but it is it is terrifying. Luckily, you know, as I'm taking a closer look at our relationship, it's it's probably not going to end it. Um, yeah, but it's it's really it's it's really terrifying to mm-hmm. to write down those things that you are thinking about the person that you're with, and then to like get into your little recording studio closet and under the blankets and have your little microphone there and say these super important things is uh you know, the hard. <laughs> yeah. Samira, as a sex educator, do you think the show operates as a form of sex ed? Is that Absolutely. a goal? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's not, you know, an express goal of the show anymore. Um, but, you know, I think every time you say something out loud that isn't said, you're you're educating somebody, you're mm-hmm. opening somebody's mind. Um, and I think a lot of the issues that people have surrounding sex have to do with fear of saying those things and fear of addressing those things and saying, like, this is you know, so private and scary. Um, And when you actually take a closer look at something, it becomes far less scary. So I think, I think in, in that um, aspect, it, it definitely contributes to sex education. Yeah. Um, We have, we have a contributor named Dr. Jana who comes on a lot and she says the question she always gets is, am I normal? Basically it's this long question. And at the end of it, it's always because of this, am I normal? And I think even just doing shows like your show and like our show, people hearing that other people are like them and they realize that Mm -hmm. they are normal or whatever that. And that there like is no normal. Exactly. It's so varied. There are, there are as many sexual orientations and sexual fetishes as there are people in the world. Everybody has their own thing. So to know that like, it's so diverse and it's such a tapestry of sexual appetites or whatever. I think, I think that that does contribute to, you know, global community sex education. That actually was the perfect segue. I feel like we planned this and we <laughs> did not to our, we're going to do some questions that we've gotten from listeners. And one of them is about sexual fetishes. Coming up on the HuffPost Love and Sex podcast, we'll hear your questions about fetishes, STDs, texting protocol, and much more. But first, have you found Love and Sex on iTunes? If you haven't, now is the perfect time. We're on a mission to spread sex positivity and education. Each time you subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes, it helps more people discover our show. And then, that spreads sex positivity throughout the land. Of course, you can always send us an email with your ideas, your feedback, and your sex questions. Our email is loveandsexpodcast at huffingtonpost.com. So now, let's dive straight into our listeners' sex and relationship questions. So my friend and I were debating whether or not there are any fetishes that haven't been discovered yet. She thinks there are. I think someone somewhere has probably fetishized everything at this point. What do you guys think? Will we be seeing any new fetishes emerge, or do you think we've probably already tried and fetishized everything? Ah, no way. No way. Yeah, no. right, man. Like, that, how many things? I mean, I feel like, you know, one time 
Well, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I, I don't thing. think so. I think fetishes are often a reflection of culture. Uh-huh. So, like, you see something out there, you're like, ooh, it's sexy and whatever. And then you go home and then it becomes a fetish. And I think since culture is constantly evolving, right. fetishes are going to evolve right along with it. Yes. I agree. And I, I would say also that, like, there are, there are certain, like, ways of relating to things sexually yeah. that haven't even been named. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, I think that as we evolve, like, and as we become a more sexually open culture, yeah. we're going to develop languages that, you know, like, languages for for types of fascinations that people have that, that we can't even conceive of at this time. Right. You know? Yeah. I think maybe— the way I was thinking about this is that probably specific fetishes, we haven't thought of them, but we could probably categorize fetishes. So, like, I was saying, you know, like, maybe I was talking to, I'd already heard this, and I said to someone, you know, someone who gets off by, like, eating chocolate cake and a janitor's closet while wearing a clown costume. Like, <laughs> maybe we've never thought of that before, but we definitely have thought about food and sex mm-hmm. and, like, dressing up in sex and locations and sex. So, yeah, probably specific fetishes exist somewhere out in the world and we haven't dreamt them up yet. But I think a lot of them we have dealt with already. In the broader categories. In the broader categories. Mm -hmm. And more and more as we move on, like you said, as culture evolves, Mm. as people become more open about what they like. But But what about, oh, well, I guess I can't, we're not talking about the future. (laughs) We could talk about the future. What about tech and sex? Virtual reality sex. What about... Robots and sex. <laughs> what about anti-gravity sex? Yeah. What about... Actually, that's you know. probably all been... Don't you think? Yeah, we, maybe. <laughs> we did a whole podcast on sex and space. Oh. Yeah. So there you go. And one about robots and sex. So Ooh. we're way ahead of you. Way ahead. I'm ready for yeah. the future. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so our next question is, my mom is finally dating again after the death of my dad a few years ago. We're really close and we talk about everything. But lately, some of the stuff she's telling me in regards to her sex life is just a little bit too much. Her newest thing is anal sex. Not only is she asking for advice about how to have anal sex, she also asked how often I've had it and how. I consider myself super sex positive, and I don't want to hurt her feelings, but this is making me really uncomfortable. Should I tell her that, or should I just suck it up and talk to her about this kind of stuff? What do you guys think? I don't think you should do anything you don't want to do. Yeah. I mean, I think she's already done her mother a huge kindness by listening. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of a lot of questions that have to do with sex and sexuality and, and communication are just they boil down to like just talk about it, have mm-hmm. a conversation. You know, I would say, you know, sit down with your mom and don't say like this is what I plan to do. This is what I would like to happen. Say this is how I'm feeling. Right. This is how what you said made me feel, and maybe we should you know talk about it. Yeah. Um, I think a good conversation would would do a world of good. Yeah. It seems like maybe too her mom just doesn't know how to relate sexually to other people. She's been I'm assuming with her her father for a long time, and now suddenly in the dating world, probably didn't expect to be there. You, we also see all those movies and, you know, where girlfriends do talk about sex and mom and daughters have great relationships. and It doesn't mean it's real. So I think she probably just maybe has to realign her mom's expectations, too, and have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I think it's okay if like to say to, to a parent, you know, like, well, maybe I'm not the person. Like, yeah. how about your friend so-and-so? Right. How about Aunt Joan? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Or, I mean, because I can imagine, I could imagine that maybe this person feels like 
maybe her mom is she feels like her her mom feels like she's the only one she could talk you know why yes. else would she right um i wonder you know that yeah. that i feel like that might make it hard but i agree with what you said yeah conversations are great we love the talk and it sounds like it. they're super open so if you know yeah if they're already <laughs> talking about anal sex they can have a conversation feeling yes totally <laughs> All right, how about this one? I was really happy to hear your episode on dick size. I have a small dick, and it was nice to hear someone else talk about it. But one thing you didn't discuss is when to tell someone about your dick size. I never know when I should tell a girl about how small I am. Too soon seems wrong, but I also have been burned by waiting several dates and really falling for a girl, and then she dumps me when she finds out. When should I tell a girl? Wow. That's tough, right? Yeah. It's hard for me to answer that because I have, like— kind of a sadness and a hate on for girls who are like have a really hard time about small dicks uh-huh. like I like all the sizes of dick right <laughs> like <laughs> the whole rainbow of dick <laughs> I, 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 and it's not fair for me to say like you know those girls who don't like small dicks <laughs> right. I hate them but like you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, it's hard for me to answer the question because I'm like, that shouldn't be a problem. Yeah. I, yeah, Samara, give us your wisdom. Well, I mean, like, I don't regularly deal with dick. <laughs> um, so it's kind of out of my wheelhouse. But, right. like, a small dick doesn't mean you're not going to have good sex. Yep. A small dick just means a small dick. And and that's it. So, like, maybe, maybe tell a girl after you, you know, go down on her or something. Yeah. And maybe you're dating the wrong girls. Yeah. You know, if these girls are dumping you after you've got a tiny dick, maybe you need to try some, I'm not going to say higher quality girls, but just some more open-minded, open-minded girls. Cause like you said, you got a tongue, you got fingers, you got toys. Yeah. There are even, I think there are sheets that you can put onto a dick there that are extend them. Dick extenders. So if like a girl is worried about you thrusting into her with something that's too small, right. you can thrust into her with something that's bigger. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, because I feel like the kind of you know, like I get, I don't know. The I feel like the 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 weirdness comes when you're like, I want, I really, this is the kind of sex I love to have. Yeah. I love to get slammed. Um, and I, I can't have that kind of sex with you and it makes me sad. But even then, like, I mean, I feel like when you're really into somebody, you just find a way to work around totally the thing and you're just kind of like, okay, this is one small thing and I'll figure out a way yeah. to work around it. Let's figure it out together. Great. Yeah. You know, we have this idea in society that it's somehow better to like meet somebody and then like immediately have great sex with them. Right. And then like if it's not great sex immediately, then like that's not your person. But really, like it's all about communication and figuring it out for this couple. And like, you know, the first time you have sex with somebody is probably not going to be great. It's going to no. be a few times down the road when you actually like sit down and talk about it and figure out what works for you. So yeah. like find somebody who will figure out what works for you and her and your small dick. Totally. And I would say, too, that, like, bringing up, like, I have a small dick, like, as a conversation mm-hmm. is kind of a weird off-putting yes. situation to put someone else in. Yeah. You know, like, I, I feel like it would be a lot hotter to or even just a lot easier to, to work with. Right. Um, if it's presented as a problem that you're dealing with together, like, like, even if it's like a question like, how do you like to fuck? Right. How can I fuck you that way? Right. Like, Proactive. this is what I'm dealing mm. yeah, with. yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, like, do you really like to get pounded? Like, because if you do, like, 
we gotta how do you feel about dildos whatever whatever you know right. like to, to sort yeah more I, yeah, I don't think Applebee's the first date is when you like you know over the appetizer <laughs> tell them you have a small penis yeah, I because, just think should... the truth is like the, the I, I think that especially because most people like want to be really nice and kind and open hearted yeah. like the unattractive thing isn't the dick it's more like the the insecurity that comes around it right. you know or like the feelings of shame it's like when someone feels shame about something that like that's hard to be close to and mm-hmm. around because you're like I can't fix that for you man right. like I'm just sitting here you're feeling bad now I feel bad too and I don't know what to say. Right. You and know? Your, dick, your dick's not even part of this, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's, it's very true. Okay. If you have HPV, like most people do, do you have to tell your partner? Yeah. I think so, too. Yeah, <laughs> you do. I mean, you have to tell your partner, but also, like, you also have to, I mean, I think you can safely expect that it's not going to be that big of a deal. Right. Yeah, you think you get to tell your partner, but you also get to tell your partner, most people have this. Yeah. Here's what it's about. It's not that scary. Let's talk about it, you know? Yeah. Um, here is a doozy. This next question is from one of our male listeners. He says, me and my boyfriend have been together for about a decade. Yes, a decade. We've been talking about exploring opening up the relationship for a very long time, but we haven't made any progress. He's into jerking off with guys, and he would like to do that with other guys. That's not really my thing, since I'm more into the traditional man-on-man sex. He brought up the good point that jerking off with other guys is a much safer practice than full-on sex. While I agree with his perspective on mutual masturbation and how low the risk is, I do feel on a personal level that I am getting the short end of the stick because of what I'm into. Our conversation has not progressed and ever since we've been stuck. I'd appreciate your thoughts. So basically, he wants to fuck other guys, and his boyfriend just wants to jerk off with other guys. Mm. And so they can't decide about opening up the relationship. He feels like he's getting cheated because he doesn't want to just jerk off, and that's all his boyfriend is comfortable with. Mm. Mm. I mean, you know, there are obviously ways of having, you know, penetrative anal sex that lower the risk. Mm-hmm. I mean, no sexual activity is totally risk-free, but there's, you know, there's condoms, obviously, there's prep. There are, you know, myriad ways to make it safer. Yeah. Um, so I don't really buy the whole, like, you're going to, you know, catch something if you go out there. Right. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little mad at this jerking off boyfriend. It seems like there's a deeper issue here going on, right? It doesn't really have to do with the act. It is more with, like, maybe the intimacy that's associated with the act. And Mm. the boyfriend is worried that if he's, you know, having anal intercourse, that's going to be more intimate. Maybe they'll—I'm making all this up, but that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, it sounds like there's a bigger issue. Yeah. When I read it, that was how—that's how I read it. I didn't even see the lower— I'm like, oh, he, you know, he he wants to, you know, play it safe emotionally by Mm. only going so far. Right. Um— I don't know. We can't really say much more without knowing. Without knowing the whole deal. <laughs> no. Again, I think they should talk more about it. And yes. Talk about what they really are trying to get from opening up the relationship. Yes. Yes. Exactly. All right. <laughs> um, okay. I've had a few experiences when I've hooked up with guys who I'm not dating, but I'm interested in dating, and they haven't called or texted afterwards. In most cases, I wanted to hear from them but wasn't sure if I should reach out. Any advice on if, when to text hookups? Uh, 
I feel like I feel like pretending like you don't care is like the most annoying game <laughs> in the entire world. Yeah. And I think that if you can be as honest as you can about your interest, that's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. You know, and just not don't get too attached to the outcome. Like that's the key. Right. You know, like and 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 assume just like take confidence and um uh comfort in believing that if they don't respond, it's not because you guys didn't have a good time yeah. or that they're an asshole or any of the above horrible things that we say to ourselves when we're in a vulnerable situation. But um, but just that they might be going through something that – or, you know, involved with someone else or whatever. Some sort of life – just trust that maybe it's a life circumstance that you don't understand fully because you don't know the person. And put your heart out there, man. Yeah. Just yeah. do it. Or put your crotch out there yeah. or whatever, whatever else Whatever you there. want. Yeah. Just yeah. say what you want and, right. like, be sweet about it, you know? Like, don't – there's also nothing more annoying than, like, weirdly guarded – um, uh, requests for attention. Yeah, you know, like where it's like you're, you're playing it cool and trying to be all chill or yeah. whatever. It's like, dude, you can anyone can read that from a mile away, right? You know, like if if I think, yeah. And have you guys ever had? I've definitely had in the past too, where like I didn't text someone because I wasn't sure, and then two or three years later, they were like, "Oh, I was so into you," and they didn't text <laughs> either. You know what I mean? And like you end up missing this opportunity because mm. you're both just being total dumbasses and not saying what you want. Totally, yeah. totally. I feel like when you know, I feel like when two people like each other, or like I mean, there's there's the spectrum of like liking and where that goes too. But right. I mean, I think it's just as special to find the perfect casual hookup oh my God. as it is to find a long-term monogamous like let's get married and have babies relationship absolutely it's just as hard it's a unicorn yeah yeah definitely. exactly it's just just as hard but so i think that like yeah like being like putting yeah putting yourself out there and like taking the risk the risk is higher when you care more right. you know and that's why it's so gratifying when you go for it and i feel like when two people connect there's li- very little you can do to fuck that shit up yes. surprisingly yes. surprisingly you know like it, it, you can do a lot yeah people will forgive a lot they will um, so just yeah, do it. That's do my it. That, that's my twenty five cents worth. I agree. <laughs> um, let's do this one. I'm a gay man, mostly a bottom, and my question concerns what I refer to as a poop apocalypse, also known as a shit catastrophe. I think this is something that causes a lot of anxiety for people. A fear of many bottoms I know is that if that happens during sex, that it's very possible you may never see the other person again. You might get written off like you've been stained. What, in your opinion, is the proper behavior for the top and bottom, regardless of gender, in a situation where a poop apocalypse or a shit catastrophe happens during anal sex? So we had a question last time we did one of these where someone said, how can I avoid having... um, you know, getting shit on or shitting on someone during anal sex. But we never talked about what happens if it does happen. Because it does happen. Yeah, if you're having regular anal sex, like, there is a pretty high chance that something like that is going to happen. Yeah. Um, and just, like, my my advice is, like, be a sport. Be, <laughs> be a good dude. Be a good person. Like, you know that you're around the butt. And you also know that, like, sexual fluids happen. And in yeah. this scenario, like poop has become your sexual fluid. Right. And just clean it up like you would anything else and know that like the person that is bottoming did not decide to poop <laughs> everywhere. Like right. it, it wasn't like they didn't 
oh, you know what's going to be great? Like, I'm just going to release everything right now. I mean, like, maybe some people are into that. But, like, in these specific situations, it's not like they had any choice. It's like, you know, you're sick and you throw up. You you know, are having sex with someone, anally penetrating them, and poop comes out, and it happens, and, mm-hmm. and just be be nice about it. Yeah. And I think have some towels nearby. Yeah. Do some just some very basic things you can do, maybe some wet wipes. And, you know, if you got to clean up a little, you clean up a little bit. Yeah. But I think we should all be grown-ups about this. Mm. I think part of the problem, too, is that we just don't talk about anal sex or it is so, like, stigmatized Mm. and poop is so stigmatized. And so, yeah, it's such a terror. Yeah. Anal sex is one of those things that I feel like if you break it down into its consummate parts, it's just, like, not a scary thing anymore. Totally. Like, once you, you know, approach it, like, a little bit academically (laughs) and you understand it at a distance, you can reapproach it from from close – so, yeah, we don't talk about it, but we should talk about it. I feel like we need you in, like, a video series with, like, you know, <laughs> you're, like, a professor with this, you know, pointing a stick at something. And we can break it down. Yes. I would love to do that. Okay. I mean, I am I kind of, I proselytize, you know, safer sex to my friends. I've been doing this since college. Like, right. do you want to know how many anal sphincters you have? You have two of them. <laughs> right. You know? Um, and, yeah, it's, like, I think I think everybody benefits from that information. It yes. just becomes less scary and poop happens and everybody's going to keep living another and day. everyone should be having anal sex. Well, no, not everyone should be, but <laughs> a lot of people should be because it's really fun and it feels really good. And I think most people don't know their anus as well enough. Yeah. Or their friend's anus as well enough, you know? Yeah, and there's this idea that anal sex is only like a penis going yes. into a butthole. And yes. that's not what anal sex is. Nope. There's so much down there that like you forget can be erogenous. Like butt cheeks, butt crack, the outside of the anus, the perineum, the whole like rainbow of things. And you can use your mouth and you can use your fingers and you can use a dildo and you can go in, you can go a little bit in. Like it's just a whole just variety of things down there. And then there's this whole idea that, like, you know, you're a cis girl with a cis man partner and he Mm -hmm. wants to put his dick in your butt and it's a thing you do for him. And, like, women don't realize that it's a whole pleasurable experience or it can be if you understand it and take your time with it and figure the whole thing out. Right. Yeah. Nerve endings are good. Yeah. Usually. (laughs) So this one is a philosophical one. Can you hate someone you love? I love this question. <laughs> <laughs> we could probably do like hours on this. <laughs> I feel like my my simple answer is you can only hate people you love because hate is a very, very strong emotion. Uh-huh. I have never felt the hatred that I feel for the people I love, like for a stranger on the street. Right. You know, I think that like um, – just like any sort of negative emotion, like it comes from fear and the level of fear that we feel when we're in love mm. is so much bigger than the level of fear we feel when we don't give a fuck. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, yeah. But I wonder what this – want. I'm so curious to know like what kind of hate this person is talking about. Yeah. Like how often do you hate? Like, right. you know, what, like, like what – yeah, like what quality of hate do you feel? You know, like because there's the hate you feel when you've been like deeply wronged right. or hurt by someone and it's a react – it's a defense mechanism. But then there's like the, the disgusting small hatred mm-hmm. of like tiny little moments 
of ugliness that just sort of like escape from you by accident that I think happen when you're in love with someone too. Like the mundane (laughs) face of this where it's just like the the really nasty sort of like snapping evil moments about like something as stupid as the door slamming shut too loud. Or um, I'm trying to remember the last time I got mad about something like this. Like, uh, you know, putting too much butter in the pan to fry the vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) Or I don't know. Yeah. But again, I mean, I think that that kind of hatred, the more mundane type of hatred, also comes from love, from knowing someone so well that they're like tiny, microscopic idiosyncrasies that annoy you that nobody else is even remotely aware of. Right. You know? I don't know. What do you guys think? I know. This felt like a very you question. I know. (laughs) I like that question. Yeah, it's a good one. All right. Our last question is, this season, I want to give gifts that keep on giving. What sex toys do you recommend? Mm, okay. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I was all about this. I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, so, if you've seen Master of None, no, yeah. I haven't, but I heard it's amazing. It's it's amazing, but he comes back from the sex toy store with this firm wedge from oh. Liberator, the firm wedge, right. Liberator wedge, um, and that's a very exciting thing. Liberator also makes this thing called a throw which sucks up all your fluids. So it's really great if you're a squirter or you like pee oh, or wow. you're in whatever. It just sucks it up. It's got this, like I don't know. a vacuum cleaner? No, no, no. It's got like a absorbent technology. Oh, I see. So you just lay it down on your bed, do your whole fluidy thing, and it just gets right in there, and then you throw it in the um, washing machine, and, and it's over. That's really great. There's a new toy called the Mustang Royale. Ooh. I forget who makes it, but it's a, it's a pretty regular Vic skin dildo um, that's, you know, fairly realistic looking. But the base of it is what's special. It's got these two nubs um, that uh, feel really good on a clit and, like, around a vaginal opening. So um, it can increase your pleasure as you are topping somebody with a dildo. Oh. Um, those are good. The Enjoy butt plugs. Um those are metal and hard, and they can be cold or warm, and they're fun. Lube is always great. People should always be using more lube. Yes, good and good lube. Yeah, good you lube. Know, you don't have to go to Walgreens anymore and get, you know. The KY. Exactly. Do you guys like silicone? I love the silicone. I mean, I know it never comes off ever. <laughs> but like, That's the problem. That is yeah. the problem. I like it so much. <laughs> it is very slippery. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I think the good butt lube. plugs, too, are good for people, like we were talking about with anal sex, who mm-hmm. haven't really done much. Get yourself a little butt plug and just spend a little time with yourself and mm-hmm. then work your way up to it. Absolutely. Caitlin, do you have any thoughts? I am. Um, I'm, I'm like a—I still have the same vibrator that I <laughs> purchased from a sex toy store when I was 16 years old. Yeah. <laughs> it is broken. I my pe- People who I've slept with fix the thing. And then, you know, it's—I'm it's, not—I'm— this is why we have Samara in our house. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe if someone's listening that knows you intimately, maybe this is a this good is, time yeah. for them to go buy you one. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I did actually last year. I bought uh, the whole Heart Team um, little uh, vibrating bullets. I love that. Um, you know, to use wherever, whenever. I bought one for myself too, but it broke yeah. real quick. Right. So... Anyways, I'm like I said, I'm not the person to ask this question. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like sort of stay true, very loyal to my one really <laughs> crappy, crappy $10 vibrator. <laughs> yeah. 
I would say, too, I think I don't have any specifics, but I would say go to a good sex toy shop. Oh, yeah. Because there are a lot of scary ones out there, and, like, you just don't even want to be in them, and you feel dirty, and you should never feel dirty when you're shopping for sex toys. There, there are enough now, or there's enough online where... You know, Babeland is is great, and I'm so glad you said it before we did. Yeah, <laughs> we love Babeland. We love Babeland too, um, and and they're knowledgeable. And you go in there, and I love it. It's like you're shopping for organic groceries, and nobody's embarrassed, and you can ask questions, and that's how you get to have better sex. Absolutely. Yeah. That's it for this week's Love and Sex podcast. I want to thank the wonderful women of the heart for joining me. Go listen to their podcast ASAP. I also want to thank our producer, Caitlin Baguki, our editor, Nick Offenberg, and Lauren Bell. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes. And reach out if you have a question of your own. Our email is loveandsexpodcast at huffingtonpost.com. You can also find us on Twitter using the handle at HuffPostPodcast. Talk to you soon. <laughs>